We've been in a really uh, interesting season recently. I don't know how many times you've heard that word, but I'm here to say it again. We've been in an interesting season recently. My name is Telus Fuller. I'm the pastor here on one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm super excited to uh, share the word of God with you. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four, verse one through three. Ephesians chapter four, verse one through three. And with this uh, time that we're in. It's no question that there is a hope that is needed beyond ourselves. And I think it would be incredibly irresponsible, negligent, and prideful to point to a hope other than the person of Jesus. We have been looking at a lot of people, a lot of policies, a lot of institutions that have been promising hope, and some of them may deliver and some of them may not. And at the end of the day, our hope has to be rooted in something that's greater than a man, greater than a policy, even greater than an outcome. Our hope has to be rooted in the person of Jesus. And with the hope that's rooted in the person of Jesus comes a calling that goes along with that hope. There comes a calling that goes along with that hope. It's an interesting time of the year because right now you have half the country that's divided, half the country that's happy and half the country that's sad half the country that is excited and hopeful, half the country that's hurt and scared. And today is not a day to focus on what could have happened, what we wished would happen, but to focus on the person of Jesus. Whichever side you're on, it's obvious that we're divided. And I'm convinced that victory isn't won in the outcome of fights, but in the way in which we fight. I believe that a healthy, united, spirit-filled church is God's first resort to heal our country. And what God is calling us to do is to be a united, spirit-filled, healthy, thriving church. I have made up my mind that I'm going to honor and respect, pray for, and love the president-elect of the United States. I have made up my mind that I, in the same way that I've made up my mind to honor the president that we have right now. And that's what I want to title my message today. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. The reason I want to title it that is because there are a lot of predetermined decisions that I think are really helpful for us to make in a season like this. That we need to decide how we are going to act before we act so that when the moment comes, we don't act wrongly. I don't know if you're like me, maybe you have a lot more self-control than I do, but if I leave my decisions up to myself, my decisions will fail me. All of my choices, everything that I do is probably going to point back to me rather than to God. I've made up my mind. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, and I'm super excited to talk about this with you guys. It says Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit of the bond of peace. I have made up my mind. Will you pray with me? Father, we are desperate for you. 
God, for you to align our hearts to the hope that is within us, to see a king who's truly seated on the throne who can never fall off, to have a hope that goes beyond ourselves, to have a faith that is rooted, God, strengthened in adversity. God, we're asking that by your spirit, we would walk in this calling the way that you want us to walk in it, that we'd see you, God, we'd hear you the way that you want us to see you and hear you. We love you so much, Jesus, and more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When adversity comes, I don't have to decide which road to take if I've already made up my mind. So you get to the point where you want to work out every day. You want to eat healthier. You want to start writing more. It's way easier to make the decision to go to the gym every single day than to say, I'm just going to go to the gym more. Why? Because the decision on that particular day has already been made up for you. It's way easier to say, I'm going to stop eating artificial sugars than to say, I'm going to start eating healthier. Why? Because the decision has already been made for you. When the potential for artificial sugars comes into your life, you say, no, 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 that decision's already been made for me. When you decide, oh, I don't really want to go to the gym today, I'm kind of tired, you don't have to make the decision because the decision's already made for you. When, when it comes to being nice to your neighbor and you say they posted something crazy on Instagram or something crazy on Facebook, you don't have to decide if you're going to pop off on them because why? The decision's already been made for you. And when your family starts to disagree with you about political issues and about relational issues, you don't have to figure out what you're going to say back to them because why? The decision's already been made for you. I've made up my mind. Paul here, the writer of Ephesians, is really, really smart at what he's writing here. We see in chapter four is what we're in right now, but in chapters one through three, Paul is laying out the gospel. He's laying out the redemptive benefit that only Jesus offers. God reconciling all of us back to him because of his great love for us. He loved us and it was because of grace we've been saved by faith. These beautiful uh, 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 sentences that we see in the book of Ephesians, that he chose us before the foundations of the world, that in him we have redemption, that by grace through faith we have been saved. It says, it says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with all power through his spirit in your inner being. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is a really smart guy because he is laying out for us a way to walk worthy in the way in which we've been called. But Paul does not just ask us to walk worthy from the get-go. Why? Because if we say, oh, you're supposed to walk worthy, we would ignore the relationship and just focus on the religion. So he first has to lay out for us that it's important for us to understand that we have been made worthy by Christ and Christ alone. And now our response in Ephesians chapter four is to walk worthy. It's super important we realize this because this point, Paul, it starts with a therefore. Let's go back to English class, right? What is the therefore, therefore? Paul, for the first three chapters, has been laying out that we were not worthy and have been made worthy. Worthy is a really interesting word in Christianity because I, whenever I see that word, I always kind of like, whoa, hold on, hold on. 
Because we either one of two things, we either want to make ourselves worthy by doing something which we know isn't right, or I hope we know, in case you don't know, that's not right. Or we want to add something onto our worthiness. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that, no, 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 you need to understand that by grace, through faith, not what you did, what he did, you have been made worthy. So now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, walk worthy. Now, you might ask yourself, how are we supposed to walk worthy? Well, the answer is, you can't. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The answer is that you can't. But we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. That it's God's responsibility to empower you to walk worthy. It is your responsibility to be obedient and now walk in the new life that Christ has died for you to have. This is very important because if we need to make up our mind, make some predetermined decisions about how we're going to act in this incredibly divided time, we need to understand when Paul is saying this, it is so important for us to know that we have been made worthy through Christ. So now we are walking worthy of the call to which we've been called. Because if I don't decide how I'm going to act right now, then I will make the wrong decision then. (laughs) If I don't, decide in my spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit how I should respond when they pop off on me, when they say something crazy, when they ignore me, when, when, when they belittle me, when, when, when they say something crazy on Facebook, when they voted differently than me, I will not respond the right way. It's really important for us to make some predetermined decisions. Why? Because in that moment, your decision has already been made. Paul's great because this challenge in verse 1 is that we would walk, uh, therefore, verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We have been made worthy through the person of Jesus. And when we think about this idea of calling, we can typically take it on this individual mindset that, oh, God has called me to be great. This Western idea of calling is like, oh, I've been called to reach the nations. I've been called to do this. And, and calling is very individual and very personal to me. And I'm not saying that's wrong. God calls you individually. He made you individually. He loves you individually. But when God calls us individually, he did not call you for yourself. There's a difference because when we think about calling, we think, well, what does that mean for me now? What do I get to do? What is God calling me to do? And Paul, when the church receives this in Ephesus, they're not thinking about what does this mean for me? Some of them might, but they were thinking, what does this mean for us, the corporate body, not just the individual? Although God cares about the individual, he has called you to more than yourself. And as soon as we start to put our eyes on ourselves, we miss part of the calling that God wants to give us. It's a treacherous path to think that we're called for ourselves because the calling of a Christian is not up, it's down. 
The calling of a follower of Jesus is not up, it's down. What do I mean? Your call from Christ is not to make more of yourself. It's not to make more money. It's not to be more popular. It's not to get more power. It's not to be the best version of yourself. It's not a glow up. It's not, oh, I'm just going to be this really impressive moral person now. Your call to follow Jesus is actually a call to deny yourself. It's a call to humble yourself. It's a call to go low. And when we think that our call from Christ is for ourselves, we start to miss the point because then if it's for ourselves, we try to make much of ourselves. And the call of Christ is actually not to make much of us, but to make much of Jesus. You're not called to exalt yourself. You're called to humble yourself. This, if, in case you can't tell, this is going to be a challenging message. As followers of Jesus, we are not supposed to make ourselves great. We are not supposed to defend ourselves. We are not supposed to, 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 to see how, how, how beautiful and how extravagant our lives can be. We're not even called to accept ourselves. We're called to deny ourselves because before Christ, it even says that we were dead in our trespasses. And I don't know about you, but I don't know one single good thing that comes from a dead thing. And it's because of his great love that he made us alive in Christ. Great love, I'm pretty sure it's the only time the term great love is used in the New Testament. It's used in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Because of his great love for us, Christ, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ when we were dead in our trespasses, because of which you have been saved. This beautiful passage, and it's so important for us to understand that Christ is not making us alive for ourselves, but for him. I mean, we think about the, 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 off, uh, I mean, the, uh, the father of our faith, Abraham, that his call from the Lord was not just for himself. Although it was a great call, a father of many nations. I mean, he thought, oh man, this is going to be great. I'm going to be the father of many nations. And even though it was a great call for Abram, Abraham, it wasn't a call just for Abram, Abraham. It was a call for everybody that, everybody that God was going to bring through Abram, Abraham. A, a corporate calling like this as a church, as a body, challenges us to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. To understand that our calling isn't for me. My calling is for Christ. My life is not for me. My life is for Christ. I've made up my mind that when adversity comes, I will not cater to myself, but I will cater to Christ. I wasn't called for the things of myself. I was called for the things of Jesus. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Now, this is a really great passage because Paul, after he asks us, tells us actually to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called, he gives us a really practical way to do that. 
Now, the way that we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called is not by being perfect. Because at the end of the day, when we hear that word, we can think, okay, how am I supposed to walk worthy of this calling? Because this calling is from Christ and Christ is perfect. So does that mean that I have to be perfect? No, we've been made perfect through Christ. His righteousness attributed to us through his sacrifice and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that he's called us to live. That is true. And now when it's talking about worthy of, it's not saying you have to be perfect. He's saying that our lives are supposed to line up with the calling to which we've been called. That it is, it is wrong for us to claim Christ and then live for ourselves. It is wrong. That Paul is saying you can't do it. I'm urging you as a prisoner of Christ not to do it. That our, our, our temptation is to always revert back to ourselves. It's always to defend ourselves. And Paul is saying, man, like that, that's, that's how you used to live. Fight the urge to go back to how you used to live. We've been delivered from the way that we used to live. And we've been called into a new life in Jesus. The calling is not about being worthy as in acting so good that God accepts me. It's saying, I've been accepted, now walk in line with my acceptance. That's what Christ is calling us to do through the letter of Ephesians, through Paul. With all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. This is pretty much a bulleted point that Paul is giving us in how to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He says, with humility. Now, the interesting thing about this list is that this list probably will not make you the most popular person at your job. <laughs> this list probably won't make you the most popular person in your friend group. It's probably not going to make you the most uh, uh, um, powerful person. It's probably not going to make you the most interesting person. Probably not going to make you the most famous person. But it definitely will make you the most Christ-like person. He says, walk in humility. What is humility? I think humility simply is seeing ourselves in light of God. Humility is understanding Ephesians 1 through 3. Humility is understanding the reality of who this holy, perfect God is and understanding who I am. In understanding the crazy difference, and then understanding that He chose you, that He loves you. Seeing ourselves in light of God, that there is a holy, perfect, just, righteous God, and there is a sinful, broken, disgusting, selfish humanity that He chose to have fellowship with. That doesn't make you prideful. That makes you humble. We can lean towards pride and say, oh, God chose me. And, and, and it would lean us towards pride if you did something. It would lean us towards pride if, 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 if the Bible says God chose you because you had a really good intention. God chose you because you really, really wanted to do good. God chose you because you were better than the rest of them. But the Bible is saying that he chose you when you were dead. There was no redeeming quality about us. Yeah. 
And, and that, hurts, that hurts our feelings until you finish the thought. There's no redeeming quality about TELUS and God chose TELUS. Wow. There is no good reason why God would choose grace and yet he chose grace. There's no redeeming quality about us and yet he chose us. That doesn't make us prideful, guys. That makes us really, really humble. That we are to walk in humility. I've made up my mind. I'm going to walk in humility. I've, I, it's, it's not a discussion anymore. I've made up my mind. I'm, going, I'm going to walk in humility. Because I see myself in light, in light of what God has done for me, I'm going to walk in humility. It's an essential part of our faith, humility. It's it's. it's, it's Interesting, I was looking up uh, and researching and, and, and looking at what all these words meant, and I realized that humility actually, there's not even a word for humility in, the, in, in, uh, uh, the, for in this time, back in uh, BC. There wasn't a word for humility for the Greeks and the Romans. They didn't have a word for it. Why? Because that wasn't part of their culture. It wasn't part of their upbringing. They, being humble to a Roman was seen as a negative thing. You weren't meant to be humble. And sometimes we might feel like we've been raised that way, that being humble isn't right. I'm supposed to be a go-getter. Being, and, and we start to make these weird comparisons on this side and that side. But humility wasn't even a word for them, and humility is essential for us. Why? Not just essential for, for our walk with Jesus, but also essential for salvation in Jesus. Why? Because you don't come to Jesus if you, can think, if you think you can save yourself. No one's going to come to faith in Jesus if you think that you're good enough. If you think you have a redeeming quality. I love what Pastor Corey says. He, he always mentions this term. I don't know if he made it up, but I'm just going to say that he did that. We put the whole weight of who we are, right, on the person of Jesus. It means that he is actually able to hold us. Putting ourself Entirely who we are, sins, faults, errors, wrongs on the person of Jesus. That I put my entire weight on him. And that's not possible unless I have humility. That's not possible to put everything that I am on the person of Jesus unless I'm humble. Gentleness. The next thing that Paul brings up. Gentleness is an idea that I don't think is really popular amongst men. If, if, if somebody described you and said, hey, man, what is, what is, what is uh, Pastor AJ like? I'm just going to pick on him because he's the first one I saw. What's Pastor AJ like? Oh, Pastor AJ, man, he's, he's a great, great, really smart guy. He's, he's a really good dad. He's, he's, he's really funny. Man, he's the most gentle guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> AJ would be like, hey, bro, calm down. Like, that's cool. I appreciate it. But let's use a, a different word. Let's use like, he's passionate or he's dedicated, or he's strong, right? I mean, guys in general, I don't know about you, but guys in general probably don't want to be defined as gentle. But yet, this is what Paul is saying, that, that gentleness is our inheritance. And I've made a decision. I'm going to be gentle. <laughs> what do I think? Gentleness is, I think I heard this first from Pastor June. Yes, I pretty much steal my sermons from every other pastor on staff. <laughs> Gentleness. <laughs> you might be next, whoever's preaching next. Um, 
<laughs> gentleness, I think Pastor Jude said it, is strength under control. Strength under control. It's not that you're weak, it's that you've controlled the strength that you have. That you, you, it's, 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 like a, it's like a horse. You have a horse that has all of this power and is just being, it, it, it's submitting itself to its master. That you, you have all this strength and you're choosing not to use all this strength. That you have an opportunity to pop off on somebody in the comments and you're choosing gentleness. I've already decided I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to walk worthy because I've been made worthy. I've been called to this calling and my calling is gentleness. I'm not choosing myself anymore. I've made up my mind. I'm choosing gentleness, restraining ourselves for the sake of Christ. Because when you're offended, guys, like, let's, let's just be honest. When you're offended, when somebody's going crazy, when the world is on this side and you're on that side, when you feel everything coming down at the same time and somebody's coming at you, the last thing we want to do is be gentle with our words. The last thing we want to do is be gentle with our actions. And it takes a mature Christian walking by the power of the Holy Spirit to be gentle in those moments. Because it's, it's, it doesn't take any effort to let loose. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a, a, a quality that I'm looking for. I don't, and I don't think that's a quality that Jesus is looking for. Because the, I, I've realized this, that qualities that impress Jesus typically don't impress the world. As in gentleness, humility. We're about to get to patience. We're about to get to bearing with one another. These qualities aren't really going to make you the most popular person at your job, but they will please Christ. We love letting loose. And I mean, this cancel culture, this popping off, this calling out, this being real, which I'm convinced is just a different way of saying I'm going to be real mean. When people are like, oh, I'm just being real. No, you're not. You're being mean. You're, you're using that as an excuse to be mean to somebody. And, and we, we, but we like it. We like letting loose. We, we don't like being constrained. That's not American. I'm, I'm going to let loose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. And it's just, it isn't, we don't like, <laughs> you like that voice? We don't like restraining ourselves. It's not something that we like to do. And maybe we haven't been taught it. Maybe we've been taught it. I don't know. But there's not, a, and, and this is, this is where I get it from, even Christians, because you, you ever meet somebody where you talk to somebody and we talk about gentleness or meekness or humility or something, and we're like, yeah, yeah, I love that. But you know what I really like, Pastor? And people say this all the time. You know what I really like? I love when Jesus went into the synagogue and he was flipping tables. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my Jesus. And people love that junk. And I don't know why, but we love when Jesus pops off. Right? I mean, you probably said that too, right? I mean, you remember when Jesus went into the church, he was flipping tables and driving people out. It's this idea of Jesus with like a whip, like hitting people. And we have this idea of like this letting loose is like reality TV. It's like, oh, this is real life. I don't, I don't know why we like angry Jesus so much. It's, it's kind of weird. And every time I think of this story... I get pretty sad because Jesus goes into his house, the Lord's house, his father's house, starts flipping tables, if you know the story, and 
he says these two phrases. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you have turned it into a den of robbers. It's really sad when we have corrupted something that Jesus has made beautiful. I mean, a house of prayer, something that's so open and, and free and able to talk to God without interruption. And, 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 and we've twisted it into this thing that's closed off and that's scary, that's limited and that's exclusive. And Jesus comes in, yes, flipping tables and having this, this, this righteous anger. But, and, and we see like Jesus lets loose on the bad guys, but I get sad and I get gracious because I'm the bad guy. I mean, I'm, before Jesus, I'm the guy that Jesus was flipping tables and driving out. I'm the guy who was against Jesus until Jesus came for me. And this idea of, of letting loose, I mean, yes, I remember the times in which Jesus flipped the tables in the synagogue, and guess what? I also remember the times when he didn't. All of the times when he didn't. That Jesus had every opportunity. He is righteous and just and holy and perfect. So guess what? He had every opportunity to come down and start flipping all of our proverbial tables. You know what I mean? He has a right to come and flip your table. And he chooses not to. That this gentleness is shown in the person of Jesus. That when he came down and even right now today, that he has the opportunity to use his strength to flip our tables and chooses not to. Where are we? When you have the strength and maybe even you feel like you have the right to flip their table. Can we think about all the times that Jesus didn't? Gentleness. Strength under control. Patience. Um, we don't like this again, a very, very, <laughs> anyway, it's not a fun word, right? No, nobody's really looking to be patient. No one's like, oh man, you know what I really want God to give me is more patience because what is God going to give you? He's going to give you more opportunities to be patient, right? And you're going to be like, nah, I don't really want that actually. Patience, it's, it's this idea of long suffering, enduring, going through something. And, 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 and Jesus is asking, Paul is asking us to endure with one another. That a Christ-like quality is patience. I'm, I'm choosing to be patient. I've made up my mind. I'm going to be patient. That when they don't get it yet, I know this is my 12th conversation with them. I'm, I'm going to choose to be patient. I'm going to endure until the end. I, 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 when, when, when my kids are still freaking out, I'm going to choose to be patient. I know that I'm right, in that, but I'm going to choose to be patient with them. When things aren't going my way and God seems to be late, I'm going to choose to be patient. Because here's the thing, guys, we are supposed to be imitators of Christ. Baseline. That's what Paul's asking us to do. Walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. This is a challenging message and a challenging calling in a challenging time. Paul is asking us to be patient. Why? I think the greatest example is because how patient has God been with you? Amen. 
How many of us can really think in our lives and be like, whoa, it took me a long time to fix that bad habit and God still gave me the time to do it. It took, me, it took me a long time to stop popping off on people and I still pop off on people and God is still patient with me. God is long-suffering. The one, the one who is right, the one who, who's outside of time, is patient. I mean, what, is, what does God have to be patient about? And yet he is. If for no other reason, I have made up my mind to be patient because he is. Bearing in love. It's, it's really difficult when we see this word to bear with one another in love when you're trying to beat them in an argument. Because if you're trying to beat them in an argument, it's not about love. And, and the word that, they use here, that Paul uses here is agape. You've heard that if you've been in church. This unconditional love. This love that loves without expecting anything else in return. This unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And if we're too busy trying to win, we are not busy trying to love. Paul is asking us to bear with one another as if to say, hey, you're going to have to use all of these past qualities, be humble, be gentle, and be patient in order to bear with them in love. This is a beautiful passage in 1 Peter chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. As I've looked around, I've realized that the world doesn't need any more of my conditional love. I've given a lot of my conditional love for the past 25 years, and it's not done a lot. The world, it, it, you, can, you can turn on any channel right now and see a bunch of conditional love. We can look into our relationships or on social media or cancel culture, or families that are being split because of left and right and see a lot of conditional love. That depending on what you do depends on how I love. That if you did this, you're cut off, don't talk to me. If you did this, you're cut off, don't talk to me. The world doesn't need any more of my conditional, expectant, selfish love. We are called to love those differently than us without exception. And I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. I'm going to bear with you in love. I don't have to decide in the moment because I've already decided I'm going to bear with you in love. I'm not going to make up my mind and risk my, 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 my intoxicated mind from the emotions of the situation to dictate the decision I make towards you. I'm not going to do it because I know if I do that, I'm going to make the wrong decision. I've made up my mind. I'm going to bear with you in love. And the crazy thing is that what do all of these things have in common? Gentleness, humility, patience, and bearing with somebody in love. All of these things have in common the idea and the fruit of the spirit of the good old self-control. I'm telling you, this is not an exciting message. It's just a challenging message. That the call of Christ is not to ourselves. It's to follow Jesus. And we are to restrain ourselves for the sake of Christ, bringing honor and glory to him in everything that we do, not because we are so good and not to make him love us more, but because of Ephesians chapter one verse, through chapter three, because of his great love, he made us alive when we were dead. 
And this is how I walk worthy. This is how my walk lines up with the calling that he's given me. I've made up my mind to be under the lordship of Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, I control myself to be like him. Verse 3, unity. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we're eager, enthusiastically, diligently, endeavoring. That we are looking forward to it. We're not waiting until the unity finds us. We are going and searching out the unity. That unity is not something that we're entirely experienced with right now. That we see a lot of disunity, a lot of division. And I'm convinced that what God is asking us to do is to be a united, Christ-centered, spirit-filled church. That that church, God's church, a united church, is going to change our community. It's interesting because unity doesn't mean uniformity. To be unified does not mean that we are all uniform. I don't have to look like you. How many of us even grew up in this area? How many of us have different upbringings? How many of us go into different schools? How many of us voted on one side? How many of us like this type of artist? How many of us like, like, like uh, 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 Wendy's over Chick-fil-A? Whatever. How many of us are so different in different ways? Unity does not mean uniformity. That he has asked us to be different and united. It's difficult, right? They don't have to look like you for you to love them. They don't have to act like you, like the things you like, do the things you do, vote the way you vote for you to be united with them. That we are to be gentle, humble, patient, and and, and bear with everybody in love. And this is going to produce a unity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It's It's this Christ-like unity that is being committed to what Jesus was committed to. This Christ-like unity is being committed to what Jesus is committed to. And what was Jesus committed to? I I pretty much just call them the greats, the great commandment and the great commission. Real simple. If you're trying to figure out what was Jesus committed to, you just look at his two great statements, the great commandment. He says, this guy comes up to Jesus testing him, what's the greatest commandment, teacher? And he says, essentially, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus is about to rise into heaven after he's crucified and comes up, one of the last things he says to his best friends is that the great commission, that I commission you to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and therefore I'll be with you every day until the end of the age. That we are to make disciples, love God, and love people. If we are united in that, we are united. That I am not looking for what we are different in, I am looking at what we are united in. We are looking to see what unites us in Christ because to reject unity is to reject our calling. To reject unity is to reject our calling. We have been called to walk worthy because we've been made worthy. And part of that is to be unified, to be united. 
And that doesn't mean that we're all going to be the same. It's beautiful because as we're going to go into this, this is, this is uh, anyway, we, we are better together, belong together, and beautiful together. That we are better together, belong together, and beautiful together. I'm going to ask uh, Darian to come up real quick because this idea of not being the same but being together beautiful I think can be illustrated in this way. And if you'll bear with me for this um, pretty simple illustration, I think that it can have a profound impact. That Darian, one of my best friends here, amazing MD. Let's get up for Darian, everybody. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> he hates it when I do that. That unity is not uniformity. That we can be unified all together and we can be uniform. That means that we are all together and we are all the same. That can happen. So if Darren plays piano, you have all these notes in these keys, right? You have all these uh, 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 different uh, chord progressions. I'm not a music guy, so just don't judge me. But you got all these different ways that you can play music, right? And so if Darian's playing octaves, right? You got one note, you got a note. See, oh, I hit that though. Right there, that is all uniformity and unity. It's the same note, different octaves, right? You have the same note. What is that note? What are we hitting? A B. We're hitting a B up the, up the whole piano. And that is all playing together in the same note. That's uniformity and unity. Now, we have an option to live like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That sounds fine. But God is asking us to be united but not necessarily uniform. What does that mean? That there are multiple notes in a key that aren't the same, but come together to make something beautiful. That Darian can play a chord. And are any of those notes the same? None of those notes are the same. So he can play, what notes are you playing? F sharp, B, and D sharp. That you can come from Arizona, you can vote for that side, and I could have never went to college, and we can all come together and be unified, but not necessarily uniform. What does that mean for us? That we come together to make something beautiful, even though we're different. That God has not called you to be the same note, if you will. That God has called you to be together and be different. There is a beautiful thing that happens when we all come together and we are not all playing the same note. That God has called us to come together in different ways to be his church. I'm not unified in the fact that we have things in common. I'm unified by Jesus. I'm not unified that we all share the same perspective. I'm not eagerly pursuing unity because we all think the same. I've made up my mind that I'm going to be unified despite our differences. I've made up my mind that even though we sound different, even though we look different, even though we have different perspectives, that does not disqualify me from association with you. Because if my differences disqualified me as a Christ follower from association, I would never be associated with this king. I had the most 
difference with this king. I was dead, he was alive. I was bad, he was good. I was imperfect, he was perfect. There was nothing that was similar between us. And he spanned the difference of heaven and earth. And said, I choose not just to save you, but to bring you into my family. Y'all, there's a part of the Bible where it says that we have been, ooh, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, and we can now call him Abba Father. That word literally means daddy. It's like an endearing term from a kid to a parent. That Jesus didn't just say, okay, we have a lot of differences, and I'll keep you at arm's length. Jesus saw the difference acknowledged the difference and pushed through the difference. If Jesus could do that for me, why can't I do that for them? How, I mean, how prideful is it of me to accept the free gift of Jesus and reject my neighbor? To belittle my neighbor? To disrespect my neighbor. To disassociate with my neighbor. Because one of the scariest verses in the Bible, I didn't know if I was going to say it because it's so scary, but Jesus literally said that if you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. He said that. And if we see that, Jesus is saying, what if God treated you like you treat people? And that is a sobering thought. That God cares how you treat people. And he's saying the way that we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called is that we bear with one another in love. Is that we are humble and we are gentle and we are patient and all under the banner of the grace of Jesus. Under the free gift of Jesus. Under acknowledging Jesus. Under the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Under denying myself for his sake. Not to be a good person. Not to try and make sure the chaos stops. But to honor my king. I'm not looking for us to be the same. I don't want to be the same. It says in Revelation that there's going to be every tribe, every tongue, and worshiping at the same throne. So we're going to be different at the end. We might as well be different now. I'm not concerned with looking the same as you guys. I'm concerned with what Jesus has done for me. Can I do that for somebody else? Can I span the distance and push through, eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace? And here it is, guys, maintain. We're not supposed to make it happen. Jesus made it happen. We're supposed to maintain what he already made happen. Will you pray with me? God, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. God, there is an inheritance that you've given us as children of God. If we've accepted Jesus, the free gift of salvation that only Jesus offers, if we've accepted that gift, there is an inheritance for us. God, and you've called us to walk in that inheritance. To walk worthy. 
of the calling to which we've been called. Because, God, you made us worthy. Thank you for making us worthy, Jesus. By your sacrifice and your sacrifice alone, you made us worthy. And now we have an opportunity, God, to live out this calling. For our lives to line up with the calling to which you've called us. I've made up my mind. God, I'm asking that we would make up our minds in Christ. To choose Jesus every single day. To make him the Lord of our decisions and not just our lives.